2: how are you now broadcasting from the vfs studios at milson's point in sydney you're listening to the bib show season six episode one don't forget hit subscribe rate us wherever you get your pods. Podcasts And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Uh, you've got one professional advisor here, and that's me, James Whelan. I'm joined by another professional. I'm not sure if he's giving retail advice. Certainly not. Um, it's wholesale only out here, but it is general advice only in nature. I'm the investment manager of VFS Group. My name is James Whelan. Uh, Colgo, he got locked outside. Um, he'll be in soon. Um, now, this episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is the 4th of November, 2022. And the time is, this is going to be fresh, it's 11.16am on a Friday. You know what that means? It's almost beer o'clock. So we've got the Fed, uh, Fed. we wanted the Fed to pivot and they sure did pivot. Uh, They pivoted to to a lot more pain uh, for markets and a lot more higher for longer. It now looks like a terminal rate going well and truly past the 5% area. I told you so, hello to everyone who absolutely patted me on the head and said it wasn't possible, but here we are. Higher for longer, it's going to be exactly the market. Did not need this at the particular time. We've seen some unfounded rumours out of China at the same time talking about setting up a reopening committee. That's all nonsense in my view. I haven't seen anything to back that up yet, but I haven't really checked the papers this morning. I've been all over the place. Uh, I still think there's zero. They're still locking people up in Disneyland. Um, Until you see a difference in that policy, there is no difference in that policy. Russia was out and then is back into the Ukraine grain agreement. Um, I think they could be back out again by the time we finish this podcast. We've also got the midterms kicking off next uh, we've also got the midterms kicking off uh, next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've also got North Korea. North Korea is doing its best to try and get itself onto the front page of the news, and it wouldn't even make page three this week with the nonsense that it's doing. That's how much is going on at the moment. Um, as usual, the VIX doesn't seem to care either. <laughs> Why should it? And <laughs> so we've had um, we've had some really good profits last month on our meta puts, just a bit of an overview of what's going on. Um, But the smash and grab that we were doing on the market uh, didn't pay off. It's better to be stopped out and get out of this market when you can, trying to figure out where we're going to be putting it into. Is it going to go into the bonds or is it going to go into the Aussie market? I am joined here by David Sikorsky, who is the principal of uh, Carrera Capital Capital, and uh, formerly the CIO of Crestone Wealth Wealth Management. Um, He's chaired the Investment Committee and is responsible for asset allocation, global security lists and recommended managed funds. But you've done, you've done a lot of stuff, and it's fantastic. You've been on the show before, so you don't need that much of an introduction, but it's a good little fund, a uh, couple of funds, I think, that you've got now, isn't it, that you've done? But um, anyway, David, how are you now? I'm really good, thanks. Okay. Thanks. There's your intro. Um, that's it. Now, what's the latest with you guys? <laughs> We're going to get to it. I'm flustered. Uh,
1: so we uh, we launched our uh, multi strategy hedge fund at the start of October. That's right. Um, so we've really just launched into an incredibly volatile environment, and I think the way you described it previously was uh, pretty much on the mark.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, what are you seeing at the moment? Um, Particularly, I mean, the last couple of months have been have been a touch volatile. Wendy, I mean, the big question that people are going to asking is, or people are asking, is when the Fed is going to start slowing down? What it's slowing down after after Jay came out with what he said. There's no reason to be slowing down. There's no reason to think they're going to. So, what's what's sort of your forecast with regards to that? To, to, to that terminal rate and what happens after that?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, you, you said above five and I'm certainly agreeing with that. And um, the, the thing with a lot of people, I think they were they were reading into Powell what he didn't say and yeah. he said pretty consistently that, you know, we're going to hike rates while our inflation is, is well above target and, you know, we know there's going to be some economic pain and we're willing to accept that. Now... As soon as we had uh, you know, a couple of numbers which didn't look fantastic like consumer confidence, all of a sudden the market took that to, to say, hey, he's going to pivot. Yeah. Where he, he openly said we're happy with economic pain. So uh, to my mind, the market was looking overly positive for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I the rally in October um, did not make a lot of sense. Um, we seem to have some really sharp reversals uh, overnight our time, which seem to be driven by, you know, bots um on news to me and you know that got a lot of people stopped out a lot of short covering and we just saw the market rocket up um on very little fundamental data which should drive markets up
2: it was it was just headlines that was talking about it the fed the fed blackout i did i've, I've used this metaphor a few times uh, or analogy whatever you want to call it but it's uh while the fed was on blackout it was like mum and dad were out for a night out and we found the keys to the liquor cabinet and we were taking little swigs of scotch while they were out and and then the keys jangling in the door and they're going to come
1: home and we're drunk on the couch. Yeah, (laughs) and and that's what we're saying. It's it's pretty true. Um, You know, I I think one of the things that highlights it for me um, is when you have a look at the Dow and if you ever look at something like a a Caterpillar stock, um, which is pretty highly correlated to copper, And so cap and Copper work very closely together, obviously both um, leverage off the global growth story. Now, Copper last month was basically flat and Caterpillar was up 20%. Something's got to give. So you look at that and there's something wrong there. Either Copper's got it wrong and the world, you know, has a great outlook and we're we're looking at economic, you know, sort of boom time. Yeah. Or Caterpillar is just completely wrong. You know, it's mispriced. And I think what you saw was a lot of, Individual stocks just behaving very irrationally, and, and that short covering certainly came into that.
2: Yeah, there was there was a little bit on that, and the, and the shorts are out and about in full force. As I think that you are, you, what's your current book at the moment? That you,
1: the... yeah, look, we're we're, we're short, but um, only with a very small um, allocation of capital. Just yep. mainly because of these sharp reversals which we're seeing, where you know the the, the reaction of the U.S. market after the CPI number um, was just bordering on madness. Yeah. Um, so when you've got When you've got environments like that, it's hard to take too much risk. So, you know, we we are on the short side, but very marginally. Um, I still think the market needs to come down pretty heftily from here when you look at the the valuations that we're seeing, when you look at the multiples that we're seeing, when you look at earnings, which will come through next quarter, um, when you look at the, the higher interest rates and the economic outlook. So, to me, there's not a lot of positive outlook at the moment for equities, and we need to see the... That, you know, the pressure from out of them still.
2: Do you think that the Chinese reopening is an inevitability and what will that do to to markets when 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 it when it happens, if it happens, I mean I say.
1: But yeah, look it it is it seems like it's inevitable, but yeah. the timing's highly uncertain. Um, <laughs> you know, so. it will certainly almost certainly see equities rally pretty swiftly. And you know, you, you only have to look at the volatility in the hand of the Hang Seng and, you know, the CSI 300 at the moment, and each day it's up down 2%. Um, so we will see that pop, but fundamentally I don't think it changes anything really. With China? With China. So the Chinese economy has been slowing over the last five, six years despite huge amounts of stimulus coming through and monetary easing. Yeah. So, you know, is, is the reopening going to help? Yes. Is it going to make a meaningful change? No, I don't think so. No, okay. So then what... Because you've got to remember, you've still got the US dollar strengthening, which is sucking liquidity out of Asia and the rest of the world. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, the US dollar at the moment is driving the vast majority of things. And, you know, when we say, what are we short? We're actually short a lot of currencies versus US dollar, um, which, you know, in the last couple of days has worked out really well. Yeah. So wh- when you've got a stronger US dollar and you've got high US rates, you're effectively dragging capital out of the markets that can't compete with that. So, you know, capital seeks a home and they're seeking the US dollar at the moment. So when you've got, you know, Asia, which needs capital to grow, if it's getting sucked out, then you've got a major issue. So not only with the, the use of the capital in the economy, but also with repayment of US-dominated, you know, USD-dominated debt. Yep. Um, so you've got a double hit there. Now, un- unless you have quite vibrant growth from China, which we're not seeing that capital is not there to produce the growth that they need. Hmm. So when you have a look at that, the pressure on EM, and a lot of people are sort of talking about EM as a, as a bright spot for equities because of valuations, um, I tend to differ from that because I think, you know, the economies are okay, but their thirst for capital is not going to get satisfied unless we see, you know, DXY go down. Sort of under one ten, yeah. So not envisage emerging
2: markets. Emerging markets will be potentially just sort of making it concise. Emerging markets only becomes attractive when we see the US dollar start to pull back, yeah. Exactly. And then you'd need the reasoning behind that to do it. And and there's no reason to when the US dollar does come back, I think it would actually look quite attractive to be in the EM space. Yeah, some definitely. of those ones, especially on the back of a Chinese reopening. I
1: agree with that
2: personally. I find that Chinese stocks at the moment. I've I've I, I've had to. I've had to go out and, and and eat a little bit of humble pie on this one because I didn't realise just how far to the totalitarian side that China was going to be after this People's Congress. Yeah, that was that was excessive. I would probably say definitely past my responses. I thought that COVID zero would have started to have been unwound by now, a couple of weeks after the the Congress. It hasn't. And the rumor that came out, I think probably might have been someone just trying to exit and 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 having a bit of a rumor and getting a bit of a pop in. In some of these things, you know, an extra five, six, seven, ten percent on some of this stuff to be able to get themselves out, because I think that actual Chinese stocks under this current circumstance are
1: uninvestable.
2: Would you concur? Am I saying anything new?
1: Look, I, I wouldn't say they're uninvestable, but you've got to put a pretty steep risk premium on them. Yeah, um, and it's not only the, the Chinese policy. You know, you, you've also got you know the weakness in the yuan coming through. You've got capital outflows. Um, out of China and you've obviously got you know countries like the US looking at semiconductor restrictions and the like so you know the potential for growth there you know, is is lower than I think what most people think even with a reopening yep now the, the reopening to my mind is is something as as you know we've seen here in the US and everywhere the reopening will happen but people I don't think are asking the right question which is why does why does it need to reopen go on. We've got a we've got a authority state yeah. that can lock down anyone whenever they want effectively. Yeah. So, you know, what is their incentive to reopen? As you said, you know, fo- following the recent meeting, we've got a leader which has complete control. So, if you want to show you've got complete control, why would you open up and let everyone free?
2: That that is a very good way of putting it. I've been I've been working under the assumption. You know, when you sort of you already have one assumption, one sort of set uh, set. Idea for what the future is going to look like, and if something changes, I don't really change that, that original thing. Maybe that's where I am going
1: wrong with this one. Look, I you know I think you've got to put yourself in in their shoes and say, well, you know, we, we've got an economy where um, we, yeah, the, the leaders want it to grow across the, across the economy. So we don't want anyone getting too rich. We don't want anyone getting too powerful. We want to control everything. So the easiest way to do that is is to prove that you are in control. Mm. keep people locked
2: out. I see that. I like that theory. Okay, so moving now a little bit to the left, what about Europe with the Russian situation? Are you seeing any bubbles out there? Anything that you might want to have a bit
1: of a look? And then we'll get to the FTSE. Well, I, I can't say a positive story for Europe yeah. um, at the moment. I think, yeah, you know, the, the, probably the interesting thing to me is that you haven't seen the euro drop further. You know, we saw a pretty decent drop in the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, but we still haven't seen fresh lows. And I think we will see fresh lows and it will continue to go lower. Um, and that's one of the key reasons why we should see DXY go higher. Yeah. Um, yeah, just on that relative basis, about 60% of the DXY. Exactly, says, yeah, yeah. exactly. Now, you've still got, um, you know, German 10 years uh, at a yield of about 220, um, which seems to suggest that the ECB is not going to hike rates and, you know, or not going to hike rates aggressively and is just going to let inflation run rampant. I don't see how you can do that in an economy which is not growing. So, to my mind, I think you've got a bit of mispricing in the financial markets and they're not pricing in, you know, how negative it could be. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, equities have come down and equities are following US equities, but, you know, they're not being priced like the, the economic environment that I'm certainly seeing. And neither is the euro and neither are interest rates.
2: Yeah. I um. In my year nine economics class, there was we, we had pictures of historic moments around around uh, of, of the global economy. And one that I used to sit there because I was always bored. Um, as you can see, based on my investing theme now, but <laughs> always bored in year nine economics. But it was uh, there was one with uh, a couple of German guys with the wheelbarrows full of Deutschmarks. Yeah, heading back in that direction, maybe.
1: Oh look, I wouldn't get that far. Oh, that was good. Um, <laughs> because you, you just don't have the economic strength to fuel a lot of inflation in Europe. Um, wages are not, you know, wages are not going up like they are in the US and even in Australia. And it's really an energy crisis in
0: Europe. Yeah.
1: And the governments know that and they'll do whatever they can to, you know, try and help. But at the end of the day, we're going into winter. There's a shortage of energy. You know, Russia, Russia control European energy. The West is in no way uh, able to, to change that in the short term. So, you know, the, the economic pain, I think, that gets felt uh, you know, in the next six months is going to be you know, much larger than what, what markets are pricing.
0: Well, we're going to
2: see. I mean, my, my view with Europe is, just with the European energy, I mean, equities is a different a different thing. I think that a declining euro might actually be a tailwind for European equities, um, potentially. What we've got ahead of us here is also that with regards to gas storage, energy storage, that they're actually, they're, they're fully stocked at the current way that they're using it. They're fully stocked for winter. We're also seeing, I've been mapping the, This is I get hassled for saying this sort of stuff, but we're actually hassling that there's a European Forest Fire Service that predicts what the European um, weather is going to be doing over the next few months. It seems like it'll be a couple of degrees warmer mm. than the long-term average in Europe. So that's going to save them. The irony that global warming is going to help them out of this situation when they got themselves into the situation by by having such a big emphasis on renewables, yeah. you know, it wasn't windy and it wasn't sunny, is not that that irony is a lot lost on me. So that's where I'm seeing that that it's going to go. The next stage in Europe though is because they can't then go and restockpile because Germany is still going to uh, Russia is still going to be shut off. Yeah. So the overcompensation that they're going to make for where they're getting their gas from and where they're mm-hmm. getting other sources of energy from is going to be is is going to be excessive. And I, yeah. that's why we saw that's why we saw gas prices go negative a couple of weeks ago in Europe. That was that was exciting. That, but I, it's it's I don't really know how
1: to play it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you said something really interesting there with with the equities because if you do have like German equities are very uh, responsive to Chinese strength. Yes. So if you do have a weaker euro and you have a China reopening, you know, you would think that the DAX would actually perform pretty well in that environment. Now, do you want to be outright long European equities? Probably not. No. But do you want to be, you know, long German equities versus French equities or Italian equities, uh, which are more domestically orientated? Yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, Italian equities, which do have a, a little bit of a bias to luxury goods and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you've got a pretty decent trade there to, to look at long German versus Europe.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that idea either, especially now that you know that they're set and they are setting things up. I will post. There's a very good article that just hit big read from the FT a couple of days ago, talking about the German companies and their footprint in China and 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 their footprint that is growing. Someone like I think BASF is about 15% of its footprints in China and yeah. other uh, Siemens, I think similar similar yeah. numbers. So that's that's interesting. That's also do, does go on the back of my preferred China exposure, which is not to to be long. Chinese equities, because like I just said they're uninvestable. But the first and second derivative of Chinese growth, or because it, it's China, they can't not grow. Yeah, that's just how much and when is the situation. So I don't mind that, that derivative, which is why BHP is a big favourite of mine at the moment. That they will have to go back to consuming stuff again. I can say, I can say that as much as I want. I'm still yet to be seen there when yeah. it's happening. Well,
1: the, the, my, my concern with iron ore in there in the current environment is that. Um, Obviously, not all of it, but, but a lot of the iron ore was used for either property, which is, you know, we all know is, is struggling mm. in China, mm. um, and really importantly, it was used for belt and as well, and distributed that throughout Asia, and to my understanding, a lot of that belt and road initiative has basically ceased now. Yeah. So, when you look at the use for iron ore, both in China and the rest of Asia, um, the demand is much lower than I think what the market's probably be pricing.
2: That's interesting. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm... Um, I-
2: I'm happy to go further into that myself because yeah. if, I'm, if I'm wrong on iron ore, then that's a big chunk
1: of my portfolios that are going to take a bit of a hit on yeah. that too. Well, and, you know, the, the, beauty of, the, the beauty of the iron ore couples in Australia, though, is that their marginal cost of production is extremely low. Mm. So they will keep pumping out. Now, you can have iron ore probably fall another 50% in price and they'll still put pumping out a lot of dividends.
2: They're still profitable. So, yeah. yeah. as much as much As much as the government will try. tax it out of them um, and that's coming on. Speaking of uh, taxing windfall profits energy, what do you think um, what's your movements in that space? If you have any movements
1: in that space? We're we're not playing energy at all at the moment Um, and probably because as I said we we just launched the fund in October so um, we're sort of at the back end of a lot of pretty strong trends and I think that energy trade probably over the last six months has done really well Hmm. and if you have a look just equities around the world Outside of energy, most equities are are looking horrendous, and yeah, the energy stocks are actually holding things up quite well. So I think a a lot of it's probably priced in on the energy energy side at the moment. Okay, Um, doesn't mean it's going to end because I think you've had an undercapitalisation of a lot of exploration um, and a lot of stocks there, and to you you can easily make a case for much higher energy prices. And I think on the on the oil side particularly. Um, again, we don't control the price. So you've got the price controlled by people who are at the moment probably unfriendly to the Western world. Yeah. And they've got a big lever that they can pull if they need to. So to me, the the risk of energy prices is still the upside. Um, I agree. I agree too.
2: I I, I, I unsarcastically do think that it could potentially go to something very extreme to the upside. Yeah. In our, in our lifetime, and then all of a sudden we don't need it anymore, apparently.
1: So that's how that's going to go. Yeah, and, and look, that, that's just not happening. No. Um, I think as much as most people would like to go to a, a fossil-free world um, and have clean energy for everyone, yeah, the reality of it is, is just not there. Mm. Um, we don't have the infrastructure yet or anytime soon, um, and we don't have the natural resources to to do it either. So even things like the amount of copper that's required for electric vehicles... Um, you know, the reality of actually doing that is, is just not there.
2: Would you be long copper?
1: Uh, I, I will be long copper at some stage. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because there is a global shortage of copper. Yes. But the problem is that, you know, the vast majority of traders will trade it from an economic outlook perspective. Yeah. And if we're going into recessions around the world, which is certainly my base case, you know, I can see downside from copper from here. Mm-hmm. And probably mid-next year is, is, you know, let's look at where it's at there. And then you're probably buying the debts. Yeah, that's and that's
2: the generational hold too. That's yeah. it's it's basically a mandatory it's a mandatory lock on people's portfolios for me to have a cop just a simple pure copper play, no 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 equity on it. It's just a straight copper ETF. Yeah. I just heard a, a wild rumor last night that um, who are they? Global X is going to be launching a copper ETF locally here as well. Okay. I'm not sure if that's public, but anyway, I've just said it. It's public now. Congratulations to. Um, which is good. So the, the way that I was investing in it was in one that's listed over in London yeah. in US dollars. So it just makes it really confusing what you're doing there too. So uh, that's and that's the way to do it. So it would be good to have something that's locally listed here, yeah, a simple definitely. copper thing, without any of the equities risk of yeah. it as well. So, you know, you can't tax you can't tax a copper ETF, um, but you can tax BHP. Yeah. Uh, what else are you looking at at the moment now? It's free for all.
1: Yeah, look, there's, there's – I mean, there's a lot happening. And I think just from the market's perspective um, – the macro markets are, are almost a, a one-way trade at the moment, and that is really just, you know, everything's following the dollar mm. um, and the dollar's driving markets. So I think equities are a bit irrational in terms of its, its particular intraday behaviour. Um, I think that the bond markets are probably underestimating how high rates can go. Yep. Um, and we're still not seeing the, the, the money really sort of flowing into those markets. And you would think... And, Bonds become attractive in the US obviously when you're around sort of 4%. Yeah, that's so that's they for become sure. a true alternative now. Um, and maybe that's what's holding holding back some of the yields. Um, but you know, I I, I still think 10 years in the US can go higher, I think 10 years in the UK can go much higher.
2: Yeah, um,
1: they seem to be very underpriced.
2: What's um, your number? What, do, you, you, do you want to throw a number at it? I mean, we had Carl Siegeling on a couple of weeks ago who we started talking about eights and nines potentially being a, being a thing that sh- people should put into their perspective.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the UK is probably in a, a similar but worse place than the US in terms of inflation. Yeah. And, you know, they're hiking by 75 now. So when you've got, uh, you know, a US at 5%, let's say, terminal rate and above, you would have to think that the UK is going to be 5% terminal rate and above. Now, if that's the case, you're, you've are uh, you got UK 10-year gilts trading at 3.5%. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, from that perspective, um, I think you can see higher rates around, around the world still. And if that's going to happen, you're still going to see pressure come come back into the equity market. Yep. So, you yeah, you have a look at equities. Equities aren't cheap. You know, a lot of people are sort of looking for where the bottom is. But There's too many worth. of those guys out there at the moment, but, yeah, sorry, 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 carry, well, carry on. You know, you just look at the multiples on earnings and, and they're not cheap anywhere. And, you know, even in Australia, you have a look at, the industrials, ex-financials, and resources. And you're looking at multiples at around 21, 22 times. Yeah. But the market's expensive. Yeah. Um, and you were seeing multiples around 25 times. Um, so if you, if you sort of think that in in this environment, we probably should be trading at maybe 14, 15 times, earnings, um, yeah, there's still a lot of downsides in my mind. Yeah. So yeah. you are going to see some fantastic opportunities at those levels. Uh, but I'm,
2: I'm not in the camp that we should be throwing money into the markets just yet. No, okay, that's noted too. So, yeah, I suppose the, the, the trading plan for anyone that's there is have your stops. Don't get too attached to it. If it, does, uh, if it goes somewhere else, similar to the situation that I'm in now of being, you know what, didn't have didn't have enough of a profit on some of these overweight risk that I was in for the last couple of weeks. The spash and grab job that I was trying to do on the market while mum and dad were out at dinner. Yeah. Um, I could stop out of small amounts of that for a very small loss, which is great. Better than a big loss because it's going to keep on going down.
1: Yeah.
0: So
2: the decision that I'm making now is, is: am I going to start putting it back to work in some safer areas, keep it in cash, or allocate it to the bond market and try and get myself up to that, uh, get my clients up to a level in the bond holding where you can just make an easy four percent for that area, just for sitting there. Yeah. The 60, Do you think the sixty forty portfolio is going to have a renaissance in 2023? Maybe the back half of
1: 2023. Okay. Um, I think I think bonds are a really interesting one. because as I said, I think yields can go higher. So you're going to get your 4% yield, but you, there's, there is the potential to lose on the capital side. Yeah. Um, Trust me, I know. If you, start, <laughs> if you start to see US 10 years at 4.5%, you know, which is what, 35 basis points away, Yeah. Um, then bonds become extremely attractive. That's just great. Because yeah. particularly when you look at USA uh, dividend yields. Yeah. So the, the argument for going to equities, particularly when volatility is high versus four and a half on the 10 years, bonds look, look great.
2: Excellent. Not bad. Uh, so America, anything in the States that you'd be looking at specifically now? Uh,
1: look, I, I think one of the things which is is probably most interesting and um, something that we, we're trying to spend a fair bit of time on is um, the housing market is, is falling over in the US. Yep. Um, so we've got, what, 7% mortgage rates um, and probably heading probably heading higher. Um, now, most of the US is fixed rates. So it's not an issue if you've currently got a mortgage, but it means that very few people are going out and buying housing. Yeah. Um, with the cost so big, people are going out and renting. And the price of rent is going going much higher in the US. Now, when you have a look at how the US calculates CPI, that rental equivalence is over thirty percent of CPI. Yeah. So the expectation that CPI comes, you know, rocketing back down to two percent, which pretty much every economist um, has has factored in. I don't think they're right. And so the house prices as as converse as it sounds, you know, lower pressure in the house prices drives up rent, which drives up inflation in the US, which keeps pressure on the Fed. Go go over that again, just so that we can get it. So if houses are too expensive to buy, you're yes. forced to rent. Yes. So demand for rent goes up. Yes. So the price of rents go up. Yes. So the rental equivalents in the CPI numbers go up. Yes. So and it doesn't have to go up, it just has to stay constant and yes. stay higher. Stay expensive. Yeah. Yes. Which means that the expected fall in inflation doesn't have to come as quick as what people think. So you know, people have been wrong about transitory inflation for 18 months, yeah, and I think
2: they're still wrong. That's big, okay, because the number of people who were just like, you know what, even even the people who said they that it wasn't transitory, I was one of them. I, I disagree with anyone who said it was transitory, and I'm on the show and I'm on the record doing it as well. I'm happy to stand by that. together on that. Yeah, and now I'm, I'm starting to go, you know what, there's enough people who are barking at me talking about um, money supply, Coming through that as you see, money supply now, which was at 20-something percent year on year in the states, is now down to about two and a half percent. That correlates with inflation, according to the good people at Morgan Stanley, at least in their note. And there was also another really good, um, a really good thing that came out about another. Oh, it was the three-month to ten-year yield that yeah. the Fed looks at. That when that inverts, and they're going to start pulling back. Now that inverted a couple yeah. of, a uh, couple of days ago that was enough for, for people to say you know what that means that maybe that's the inflationary downside story that's going on I'm starting to buy into it and I'm starting to say myself okay we might have
1: seen the yeah. you disagree no I don't disagree okay I I think we're we're pretty close to peaking but the damage trajectory won't be as fast as what people think okay um so people think that we're going to go back to two percent by you know end of next year uh I think we might be more like four percent by the end So we can come off six percent, you know, but six percent down at four, six not six percent down at two, and there is still a lot of pressure on wages. Particularly if you have a look at Australia, there's a lot of industries demanding you know five percent wage increases. Yeah. So across the board, you know, we're not going to end up with five percent wage growth, but yeah, the pressure on wages is still there, and that becomes more structural. So I'm I'm thinking that you know we are going to be structurally higher. In inflation than what most people think.
2: Okay, okay. Uh, anything else to go on because we're sort of just running out of time now? Is there anything else you're looking at, longs or shorts, or just some a, just some throwaway a throwaway tip for the weekend?
1: Uh, no, look, I think we've, we've covered most of the world. Yes. Um, I think you know, to your your trading strategy, and I think just with cash, it's it's very prudent to manage risk very closely at the moment. Um, you know, volatility in markets is probably higher than what the VIX is indicating. Yep. Um, so I think being re- really careful about your use of capital and, and how tight you manage your risk is really important at the Okay,
2: that is absolutely noted. Uh, thank you for joining you. us, David Sikolsky of Carrera Capital. Thank you, appreciate it. Okay, that was a great chat with David Sokolsky of Carrera Capital and uh, any more information, please let us know what it is that you need to know. Now, uh, straight to our next guest is Clayton Daniel, uh, former practice principal and now the CEO of XY Advisor. We met at the, where did we meet? First off, how are you now, Clayton?
0: Um, mate, I'm doing well. We met at the Global X launch.
2: That's right. We did, meet yeah, at the Global X launch, now they've picked up ETF securities or they've merged or whatever you want to call it, yep. um, and we met. Clayton accosted me um, with, <laughs> with one of his representatives as well, took my phone out of my hand, Downloaded an app onto it called XY Advisor without really asking. That's the sort of forced, full frontal sales technique I like to see. More of it, please. It's uh, it's really good. And I've I've checked this thing out. I've finally been granted access to it. So it is it is that sort of membership um that's there. But mate, I'm gonna let you do the, the talk because it was interesting and this is not a sponsored gig. This sure. is just I'm fascinated with the with the product. Um mate, what are you doing? How do you make money?
0: Yeah. Okay. So I go back about eight years, myself, a handful of other practice principles. We were just starting. We realized we didn't know how to build a successful business. We started asking other more successful financial planners uh, what we should do. That ended up uh, kicking off sort of a, a, a an agenda of once every six months doing an event, which then led to once every week doing a podcast, which then led to every, uh, I guess, 24-7 access on a Facebook group, and then we had all these staff members and we realized we had a business going. Uh, so I end up coming on almost three years ago. We launched a standalone platform so you can find it in the app store or xyadvisor.com. Although we are very shortly uh, about to change our name, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll update you when that happens. Um, and we have a really interesting business model. Um, so our purpose is to drive the positive evolution financial advice, right? So that's kind of why we existed as as a company. So we didn't just want to do advertising, right? Because that doesn't drive the positive evolution of financial advice so what we do is we take all the words of conversation there's millions of them right millions of words of conversation we run it through third generation ai and it's actual real artificial intelligence which has only been around for about less than 12 months it's a or at least publicly it's the same thing that reverse parks elon musk's rockets right so it's it's pretty smart stuff so we run all the conversations through this ai which then uh, gives us research it tells us the main problems financial advisors are experiencing we then take that research we go to clients like a like a big company maybe like a pimco and then we'll discuss with them about how to create education that solves actual advisor problems so what we end up doing is we is we take the money that would have normally gone to a logo in an email uh, some kind of banner ad we then convert it into education so that it drives the positive evolution of financial advice
2: okay cool and um just uh, uh, this was just going to be a quick one that's a great uh summary so how can people get this on their phones and get into it yeah um go to the app store xy advisor or
0: go to xyadvisor.com.
2: okay that's uh, that's a good wrap thank you very much for joining us just now clayton dalian that's a really good so you i recommend everyone just check it out and have a bit of a look and, uh, and it can really help you out cheers no worries thanks a lot you can find us on itunes at the bip show or wherever you get your podcasts we're on twitter at the underscore BIP underscore show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The BIP Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan 42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time.